Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here with Flora Tasse. Flora is head of computer vision and AI research at Stream, a company that she joined through the acquisition of another company, which she co-founded, Solerio. Flora, welcome to the Twimmel AI podcast. Thank you, Sam. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks uh, for the invite. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, and I'm really looking forward to digging into your uh, recent CVPR presentation. You did a keynote at the AR VR workshop at yep. CVPR. I, I was excited to see that there's enough happening at the kind of intersection of AR VR and machine learning to, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that there's a, a workshop at CVPR on that topic. Yeah. Um, there's tons happening. It was it was awesome. There's tons happening in that space. So it uh -huh. was definitely a good workshop. Yeah. Well, you can tell us all about that. But before you do, uh, please share a little bit about your background and how you got started in computer vision, how you came to found Solerio, how you mm. ended up at Stream. Uh, I'd love to hear all of it. Uh, that's like a that that would be a long story, but I'll try to make it short. <laughs> <laughs> so I was born and raised in Cameroon. So Perfect. Cameroon is in the central is in Central Africa, and more precisely in the city of Douala. And so I was raised in the French speaking part of the country. So you okay. might notice that from my accent. <laughs> okay. There's some French in there, and. Okay. Um, yeah, so from a very early age, I was very much into special effects and movies and uh, more precisely Jurassic Park. So I was a big fan of the of the movies because of the dinosaurs. I would just okay. like, I would sit like this close to the TV, staring <laughs> into a dinosaur and wondering, <laughs> how can it be? Like, why is this so real? And then I asked my dad, like, how can they make these extinct creatures look so realistic? Uh -huh. And then, and then he said, "Graphics." It's like, okay, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. Like, <laughs> that seems awesome like uh, <laughs> my perfect dream, you know, making the impossible become possible. Uh -huh. um, so, fast forward um, a few years, I did my bachelor in maths in the English-speaking part. So I had to learn English, English, and then move um, okay. and did maths uh, because I couldn't. They had no course in uh, computer science. So then moved out of the country to South Africa, where I did a master in, um, in Cape Town, okay. beautiful city in South Africa. Cape Town is um, beautiful. Yeah, it, it's amazing. I recommend it. <laughs> it's, it's a great vacation spot. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I did my, my master's there, then came to Cambridge for my PhD. Okay. So 2012, I arrived in the UK, all ready to make my dreams come true. And so that was definitely like a good experience. So at uh, Cambridge, I was looking at how do you take re uh, real things in images and turn them into 3D content. So I was doing some 3D shape retrieval shape analysis from images. I Meaning you have a 2D yeah. image and you want to turn that into a 3D uh, shape. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. Okay. Um, so four years or three and a half years, I stumbled upon like a great discovery that if you actually incorporate um, NLP, so if you incorporate language information, you can basically get really, really accurate uh, results going from 2D to 3D. 
And so the addition of that, what? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the concept was that rather than just looking at images as just, you know, pixels that you can then turn into some features and then use classification on them. Uh -huh. uh, it was a concept that those features can actually be semantic features. So okay. there's some semantic meaning attached to those descriptors that you are, that you are generating. Okay. And so What's that means that, of, um, uh, of the, the text that would associate or would, would be associated with an image. So yeah, the very early version was just, um, so if I look at the chair and know it's a chair, so I have like my data, my data set has labels, like this is an image of a chair mm -hmm. and this is a chair. And what we are trying to do is create a representation that capture both of those information. So it captures both the visual information and the text information, which in this case is just the, the semantic meaning of what the word chair is. Okay. Um, so in, um, so in language processing, they have a lot of language models. So that's what they use for translation. Uh, and other NLP tasks. And they mm -hmm. do this by representing those words as uh, multidimensional vectors. Mm -hmm. And so what we were doing was creating a, a representation that would capture both the visual data and that uh, language-based representation. Using that, it will capture semantic data inside the representation. And since that is actually you have the same concept in 3D shapes, in hand-drawn sketches. You can use that as a way of bridging the gap between all of these domains. That was my PhD, basically. And so we had really good results, really increased the bench, the baseline by like 30% uh, in some of the use cases. Wow. And so that was great. And the question is, what happens next? What do we do with this? <laughs> <laughs> and either, so there were, uh, there were some offers on the table, like, like big companies I could go and work for. Uh, mm -hmm. But I was really passionate about that specific discovery and how we could scale that to not just one object, but like multiple scenes. Uh, you know, can I then take a picture of my room, of my living room, and then turn each object into a 3D shape and build like a scene graph of yeah. my surrounding? And so that's that's that became Celerio. That's what Celerio was doing. Okay. Uh, so spun spun out that work out of the university, created a startup called Celerio that was looking at how do you take the uh, real world and turn that into a digital digital format. Yeah, and the story- that for really how long before Stream came along? Two years and a half. Okay. Yes. So it was a, it was a great like journey. We got to like build something that was running on the phone, uh, had it tested by a bunch of like AR developers. Mm -hmm. It was a really cool and interesting journey. And during that testing phase, Stream was one of the people who were testing our platform, looking to integrate that into their product. And we had, we had met Stream like a year ago because we have a common investor. Mm -hmm. And so we really like what they were doing. And so Stream is all about remote collaboration and how do you power uh, add value to that using augmented reality. So okay. you, take, you take a video collaboration platform and then you incorporate AI at the very core of okay. it. And so they were doing that for like really amazing use cases, like repairing customer support, home repairs and so on. And so they came with us with an offer because they saw what we were doing as very core. So like the vision mm -hmm. um, of, their, of, their, of their product. And we were very interested in like bringing this tech to the real world. So we had been yeah. hard at work building the technology and we were really happy at, we were really happy about the results, but we couldn't wait to actually see that being used by real customers 
and stream had like one of the best use cases for AR. And so that's how the acquisition uh, happened. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. congrats. Thank you, thank you. And, and I guess I'll say before we get very far, we will link in the show notes to your slides from the AR VR workshop. Uh, and folks who are listening should definitely check them out because there are a lot of cool uh, videos and demos and things like that in the, in the slides. So, you know, maybe tell us a little bit about your, your talk and kind of what some of the main, uh, main points that you're presenting. So the talk was entitled computer vision for remote AR. And um, so when, a lot of time when people think of AR, VR, they think of a mobile phone, they think of a headset, they think of, uh, you know, Pokemon. like, yes, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, like they would think of like an experience where you are looking at something and then you have something augmented on top of that. So remote AI is very different because someone else across the, the ocean is kind of experiencing what you are experiencing, but they're not in that same physical location. Mm. And so then I was talking about like, yes, what remote AI is and how computer vision can then help uh, solve some of the issues uh, that take place in that kind of scenario. And more precisely, I was looking at the stream use case, what we do and how we are using computer vision to solve some of the issues. One of them is something like, Meshing the environment. So a quick example, if I'm here in my living room and I have an issue with my fridge and I call uh, one of these companies, uh, I call their customer support and say, I have this issue. Now they can use stream and the augmented reality platform that we've built so that the expert, we call it a pro on the other side can have visibility into my environment and what I'm looking at. And so sometimes one of the main uh, use case, main question that they have is, can we measure things? We want to be able to measure something so that if we send, if something is broken and we have to send something over, we know, you know, we, we know what size it should be. How can you make measurement more accurate? And it's really hard to do that on an image. And so one thing that we do is being able to build a 3D mesh of the environment. And so once you have a 3D mesh, then the pro can just say from point A to point B, what is the distance? Um, and so things that are important is meshing, like the geometric data, but also the texture data, because once you have texture, it gives you context. And so mm -hmm. I was, yeah. Are, are, are the meshes that you build or are working with, are these based solely on 2D data or like the iPad now has a LiDAR sensor in it? Or yes. It's gotta make the job easier. Yeah, definitely. That has been, yeah, that was, that's, I, I look forward to more devices having their sensing. Uh -huh. So we definitely have a framework uh, that we build in-house for doing meshing from only 2D images, Okay. but that wouldn't be nearly as accurate as using depth sensing, uh, definitely. Yeah. So we have different solutions depending on the, cap the capability of the device that uh, the customer is using. Okay. Yeah. And is so, the building the 3D mesh from the 2D image, you know, talk a little bit about the, you know, is that a, a largely solved problem? Is it still like really hard? Like where is it on the spectrum of, you know, computer mm. vision, AR types of challenges? Yeah, it's still, it's still really hard. So it's a solved problem as soft as, as it can be. What people are now doing is adding AI 
for predicting death, uh, but there are still some challenges around using predicted death for meshing because you need temporal coherence. So as you go from frame A to frame B, you need things to be kind of correct. You need a death to be coherent across the different frames. So that's still a that's still something that people are looking at. So for the vast majority, most people are using motion stereo. So you look at consecutive frames and you are trying to find their values that are consistent across multiple frames. And so that is going to be harder if you have frames that don't have much texture, depending on the changes of lighting, that still will be tricky. So people are now looking towards like stereo systems or you know devices that have depth sensing. Mm -hmm. So there's not much work going into, you know, mesh meshing from 2d images there's not that much work going in there because there will always be some limitations because of just the nature of the of the problem and the stereo use case that you're describing is that assuming multiple cameras yeah so they one of the some of the techniques that people are using from 2d images is like mm -hmm. using motion stereo so you kind of look at two images from the same camera and if they're close enough you can simulate stereo and obviously you also have like phones that have left and right images. In that sense, you can just like make the problem easier because uh, you don't have to try to rectify, you know, images that are happening at different time frames, time okay. stamps. You, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You're going through these use <laughs> cases um, that you see and one of them is measuring things. Yeah, measuring things. Um, yeah, I'm just making the point that for measuring things, uh, meshing and texture are very important. And so part of my talk was how do you attach texture to a mesh that is changing all the time and how do you do that in a way that's real time uh, so that it doesn't interrupt the customer experience. So that was one of the big uh, points I talk about in the in the presentation. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, let's drill into that. That is that something that your research is focusing on at uh, at Stream? Yeah. So that's one thing that we are actively working on. Is so a lot of prior work. If you look at some of the mesh reconstruction framework out there, they will give you a color per vertex. So they don't really have, so the colors kind of look really washed out and blurry, and so it's kind of hard to like make out the edges of you know a countertop in the mesh and so we see texture as a big part of you know making that easier making it easier for people to be able to like make out the context and the edges mm -hmm. and so it's become really tricky to like most most of the time this this is happening the texturing process happens after the meshing we are trying to do that in real time as the mesh get gets updated all the time so that's mm -hmm. that's that is what makes it very challenging and that's the research problem that you're working on and so the textures that we're talking about also like it's some kind of texture estimate or something per vert per vertex yeah so you have you have like a mesh that you obtain from it doesn't really matter where you got it from yeah. and you have some video and you are trying to kind of and you know where your camera is so at any moment in time you can say i'm at this point looking into this direction how can i use that information and apply that to my mesh Okay. Uh, and the camera is moving all the time. The video has blur. So how do you then like kind of try to make a mesh that looks good, uh, with as least like with no artifacts. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, yeah, that's a problem that you look at. And is the end application in trying to apply the colors and textures to the mesh? Are you essentially trying to create a 
like a 3D model of whatever the camera's seeing someplace yeah. else? Yes, because yeah, not only you are doing that, you are trying to, so it, this is remote AR, right? So this could be right. shared with one person, multiple people who are looking at the same scene and they actually can like, they can insert um, 3D elements and things like that. So not only you are trying to do this meshing, this texturing, you are also trying to sync it across devices. So there's a lot of networking um, challenges that come into mm -hmm. place when you start doing these things. I'm wondering why I need the mesh to be very accurate if I've got the video stream. So because it's really hard to do measurements in a video stream because the camera is always moving. So if you're a professional on the other end, uh, you pretty much have to say, oh, like, can you just be still for like the next 20 seconds <laughs> while I take this measurement? And the measurement won't be accurate because you might be clicking at some place, but actually it's it's not, it's um, the pixel or the vertex data at that location is not that correct. You're actually looking at something behind, let's say behind the fridge instead of like on the edge of the fridge. Mm -hmm. And so when you have 3D information, it gives you just more context. You can rotate uh, the mesh and then make sure that you're actually clicking the right, um, the right endpoint. So then having the, the color and the texture information associated with the mesh allows the person who's remote to make sure that they're clicking on the right things. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So they are the experts, so they, they know how to take these measurements. Usually they have to come into the home to do this. And in the home, they are in 3D, right? Because they yeah. are in the in the location. So how can we kind of replicate that experience in a remote setting where they are not physically there? Mm -hmm. um, so that's where like 3D information is, is so, so important. Okay. And if you fast forward, like in a setting where we have headsets, then obviously you can put on your headset and you can actually walk around the environment and feel like you are in the physical location. And again, with the color and texture, you want, uh, certainly with a headset, you want to have a situation where you're kind of walking around navigating the world and the video might not be there anymore. The video might be yeah. going in a different direction or exactly. something like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so texture, um, so texture as a, a big element of measurement was one of the yeah. big points that you yeah. uh, went into. Um, what were some of the other cases you covered? So one thing that, yeah, we don't see much at computer vision conferences, like or like even AR, VR, um, you know, applications. It's just being able to know is extract metadata from the environment. So more precisely, if you are looking at say a washing machine and a pro is looking to fix this washing machine, it's very important for them to know what is the serial number, what model yeah. are we looking at. Right. So that's that's like the bread and butter of customer support. And how do we, and then the customer usually don't know this information or how do you or kind of like they are focused on the fixing part of it, not necessarily on the data collection part of the process. Mm -hmm. So one of the computer vision problems that you have is how do you look at a device and be able to extract information about model number, serial number, especially, especially from labels. So some of these devices, they make it easy for you to have, they have labels, mm -hmm. but then can you look at text and know what text is relevant and what text is associated to a serial number or to a model number? Right. So that's the uh, metadata extraction yeah. part of uh, what we do. Ha having repaired a bunch of home appliances or at least attempted yeah. to, 
um, <laughs> you know, and seen a lot of these labels. They have all kinds of numbers on them and trying to yeah. figure out which ones are the right ones. It sounds similar to looking at some other kind of structured or semi-structured uh, text, like a, a document, like an invoice and trying to figure mm. out what's the invoice number and what are exactly. the line items and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it can be so case, hard, orientation right? Orientation is probably going to be weird and the perspective right. is probably going to be weird and yeah. the lighting is probably going to be bad. Definitely. Like we deal a lot with like skewed angles, like depending on where you are looking from, it can be very distorted. Mm -hmm. uh, adding to the fact that like manufacturers have very different standards. So you can't have like a rule-based system that says, oh, like we'll always be looking at, you know, this area of, of the label. Uh, so AI, this is where like AI really comes comes handy yeah. Um, because, so yeah, we just basically look at it as um, a two-part problem. First, it's an OCR problem. So how can I just extract textual data from this image? Um, and then it's, you know, which part are relevant to, to what we care about. And so that becomes like a classification problem based on the textual data, based on where it's located, train over a lot of labels and a lot of uh, a lot of data. We can mm -hmm. now kind of look at the label and tell the customer, the pro that this is a serial number. This is the model number mm -hmm. of this appliance. For the OCR part of that, are you kind of taking the image as is and pulling the um, the letters out, you know, however they are, are you trying to reorient that kind of as a, you know, ortho rectification process mm. to, so that it's straight? No, so we, um, so we leverage a lot of like the existing frameworks for OCI because OCI is just about taking some image, getting text out of it. Yeah. So uh, we can do, you can do a lot of, um, like a lot of data augmentation that happens in this so these type of models have done a lot of data pre-processing. So they're to already pretty good at, you know, at, at extracting exactly. text that's not straight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about about that part. So the the biggest, so in this case, the biggest effort is like building a model that is going to do the the classification right because obviously like. OCI just gives you random text. And so, and in the case of CN, these numbers, they might occur in different places. It might be like some at the top, some at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And then the OCI might gives you groups, but those, those groups could be like very disjointed. So how do you mm -hmm. combine this information into something that makes sense? That's where we are, our focus is, is on. Less mm -hmm. on the OCR, more yeah. on like making sense of the OCR output. And are you using as a, a feature in that, part of the problem, the actual text that might say, you know, model no or serial mm. no, or are you kind of ignoring that and just looking at trying to do it based on the number itself? So we do it based on the whole text. So from the whole text, we will basically classify, we say, okay, we care about the serial number, uh, what bits of this text represent the serial number. Mm -hmm. And we do that by training a model that does that. So. Uh, implicitly, the model is using is using all of this like in, you know uh, implicit information yeah. around like where this is is there like a serial number on top behind before and so on. We don't explicitly do it, but I think it's implicit yeah. on the trend. It's a, it's a fun problem. <laughs> uh, there were some other uh, use cases that you walked through. Oh yeah, one of my favorites is always so when we talk. <laughs> so going back to what I was saying around like 
blending what's real what, what's virtual and having like this uh immersive environment uh one of the key things that i'm very excited about is uh walkthroughs like tutorials but tutorials in ar okay. so you get a new appliance you want to know how to get started we can have an ar tutorial experience around that machine to tell you how to like use it oh. uh like it's broken and then you can have a troubleshooting walkthrough around that appliance um and so for me that's like one of the most fun use case because it's yeah. it gives the power back to the customer and um and one of the key problem in being able to do that is being able to identify the six dot pose of whatever appliance you are looking at or whatever object you are looking at we need to be able to know what is translation rotation so we can then impose data like virtual data around it um, so I talk a bit about how we do six stuff pose estimation for objects like that. And elaborate on on what that means because I saw that in a presentation. You know, you, you write it as six D, and it's like sixty. Yeah, what what <laughs> is it, the six? Six stuff. Well, six stuff is six uh, degrees of uh, freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, so three for translation, three for rotation. So that makes six. That make, that makes uh, six variables that you have to estimate in order to like get a post transform for where your object is respect to your camera. Ah, got it. Yeah, got it, got it. So you've got your you're locating an object in three D space, and it's got some rotation, and that can exactly. change in its next position. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh so and then so at any point in time we are trying to figure out what are those six values so that you can build a transform from that, and then you can use it to impose your 3D content around it. Okay. Yeah. And so, so maybe what are what are the the challenging parts of that problem? I mean, it's, it's one of, even today, like I, see, I think for the past, as far as I can remember, people have always been working on on uh, pose estimation. Even this year at CVPR, there are so many papers around that because it's yep. a very hard problem to solve. For us, it's even harder because you are actually not looking at an image, you are looking at a video. So your camera is changing and you expect that pose to be correct across multiple frames. So for us, we use a lot of, we use a combination of techniques. So at CVPR, you see a, you see a lot of work around uh, pure, pure ML-based techniques mm -hmm. where you can just give an image to a model and it will tell you what are those six values, or it will tell you what are the key points. So if you have like the key points of your object, you can recover the um, the post the, the post information. So what we saw with those techniques is that they are not nearly accurate enough. Like typically, you have like a ten degrees um, uh, margin of error, which is for us not good enough because we are going to be superposing content on top of this in AR so that we need like super accurate pose. So what we end up doing is we have a combination of pose, like getting some ML-based um, technique to identifying key points, or even just asking users to like select those key points. And then we focus on like from that initial pose, how can we refine it further to really fit the edges of what is currently in the image. And so uh, these are called region-based region approaches where it's looking at what is the background, what is the foreground, and how can we find a pose that best differentiate between the two. So those are very accurate for this type of use, use case. 
Okay. It sounds like in this case, uh, a big part of the way you, you improve your results is by kind of manipulating the user interface so that you can get more information. Exactly. Overly burdensome on the part of the, yeah. the person who's using it. Yeah. So that's, uh, so we try because accuracy is so important for us. Uh, when we, if we need some user input, we need to leverage some user input to get to that level of accuracy. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we are happy to do. And in a sense, it also helps us collect more data uh, so that we can also improve the accuracy of our models. Have yeah. you seen many products out on the market that are kind of putting this kind of AR in the, the hands of the consumer? Like you mentioned this um, training use case for a washing machine or something. Is, is anyone doing that? I haven't seen anyone <laughs> doing that. Uh, it's so I think like stream is in a, in a very good position because we so we have like an existing customer base mm -hmm. who are actually asking for these kind of features because okay. they see that as a big need. And so that's kind of driving the problems you are working on. So I think I haven't seen it out there yet. So maybe people are doing working on that like behind the scenes. I was just going to say, I've seen a lot of demos of it in a kind of industrial type of yeah. use case, like um, at one of the Microsoft conferences a year ago, their C CEO, Satya Nadella, demonstrated mm. a kind of remote repair, you know, the, uh, a worker goes into a telecom closet, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, and they're trying yeah. to figure out how to, you know, get the 5G working again or something. <laughs> there's a, um, you know, they're supported by someone who's pushing screens, overlay screens on top of what they're seeing and telling them mm. how to fix stuff. The closest I've seen to it in something consumery is, I don't know how it's kind of prosumer slash low end enterprise. And it's actual, I think is real as opposed to a demo, but mm. there's a networking company, um, Ubiquity Networks that makes these, again, kind of prosumer networking gear and their latest line of switches in some of their promotional materials they're showing you kind of holding your phone over the these switches and they're showing mm. you like what's connected to what in the different ports mm. um yes so, but that's probably the only example i've seen of that actually in the wild yeah and it's it looked, uh... pretty, looked pretty cool yeah, definitely. Like it's yeah, and I've seen obviously like AI Kit has some demos around like being able to if you have like a Lego set and then you you are able to kind of recognize that and then impurpose some three D content around that. Um, so there's definitely been some use some demos around mm -hmm. this type of um, use cases. More so, so when, when you mentioned Microsoft, I was just thinking, oh, it has a depth sensor. That would make our life easier. Uh, uh, <laughs> sensor type yes, of, yeah. yes, yes. That's that's why I can't wait for more depth sensing to come to phones. But, but you're uh, assuming just a, a phone. And so exactly. you're only able to use things that are commonly available on, on phones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so definitely it's a world where what is going to happen is that like on phones that don't have depth sensing, we have these techniques on phones that do have extra capabilities, then we can offer, um, we can use that data, that, that uh, sensor data to even push further the accuracy of our methods. Mm -hmm. So the more devices with those, like the better. What are some of the other big challenges that you see in 
in the space? In our space, okay, so one of the big, so at the end of my presentation, towards the end, I mentioned spatial AI and spatial the, AI. yeah, okay. and what it meant for us. And for us, it just means that going beyond trying to understand these tasks at the granular level, but like look at it big picture. So at the end of the day, what you want to know is in a, in a video, in a collaboration between two people, what is the problem? What is the solution? What are they talking about? And how do you capture this, this information in a way that you can then reproduce it somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you have this idea of bots, chatbots. Uh, you have this everywhere, like in, in the banking systems where yeah. you have an issue and then they can just kind of, based on your question, they will suggest you something. And if they can't um, fix that, then it will escalate to a human being. Okay. And so I think that AI and I add special AI on top mm-hmm. of that, the sense that now this AI both actually they understand your environment, they understand they can look at what you are looking at and they can make sense of it. So ultimately, can we create a agents that are able to solve, like to help you solve these issues without you needing to actually talk to a human being? Um, that's kind of kind of like the big moonshot problem that you are looking at beyond uh, these individual computer vision tasks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I'm envisioning as an example there, the, uh, you know, the, the cliched scene we see in the movies where the bomb squad comes in to defuse the bomb. <laughs> yeah. Someone's yeah. holding their phone over it in the system, as opposed yeah. to some remote expert is saying, Oh, it's definitely the yellow cable clip the yellow. Exactly. Cable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And yeah, they better, be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they better be right. Yeah, they better be right. And make no mistakes in that kind of scenario. But yeah, that's what some of the things that we are thinking of now is how do we start getting there by maybe like starting by making sense of the video data? Like, can you, can we start clustering uh, videos by, you know, the functionality? So not mm-hmm. just similarities in the sense that yeah, they have similar scenes, but are they trying to solve similar problems? And so how can you capture that out of a video and be able to start creating these clusters, uh, which can be very useful for just like training for a company to understand like what are the most common issues and capture, you know, um, what are the solutions to these issues so that they can replicate that in other environments. Mm-hmm. And so, it sounds a little bit like you're describing kind of going back to expert systems types of approaches for, you know, but coupling that with information that we've pulled using modern AI techniques, you know, neural networks and the like. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, special expert systems. Special expert systems. Our mission at Stream is making the world expertise more accessible. Okay. And so how do you open access like, you know, to everyone, um, so that's that's part of how we, we get to that vision. Okay. Yeah. Do you follow the computer vision space more broadly, or is it? I do. What do I you do. find interesting at CVPR this time around? Oh man, like obviously, I'm always kind of looking at uh, more like problems that you are already looking at. So, one of the work that uh, I read recently was. Um, normal assisted death estimation. And so in, in the sense, you're not looking at one image to create, to predict death, you're actually looking at a couple of images, which for me is really interesting because then you just get extra information and you make sure that 
whatever you're outputting is consistent across multiple views. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that sounds like the stereo problem that you were describing yes, earlier. Yes, but using AI, which which is is good because you can now scale across like different type of scenes, and you mm -hmm. can build robustness to like lighting issues and so on, uh, which mm -hmm. you can't do with like traditional methods. So that's that's very interesting. I'm still like reading through. There's a lot of content at CPR, so I'm still working my way through everything that was uh, presented. But uh, definitely, that's one of them. Um, and just in a general sense, I'm very excited about machine learning with no, without needing label training data. I think that's a mm -hmm. big, I think people are still looking at that. Um, so I'm, I'm less interested in being able to like generate photorealistic images. I know there's a lot of focus on that, but I really think of like machine learning and computer vision. And you look at all of these models, they need tons and tons of data to train them. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a new line, some line of work around how do you basically do self self training um, systems? How do you do that without needing like a bunch of data, mm -hmm. labeled data? So mm -hmm. that's something that I'm very interested about. Nice. The uh, the workshop that you presented at is this something that you've been participating in for a long time, or is it new at CVPR? So this is the second year. Uh, okay. The workshop is taking place. So last year, I was attending and we were presenting uh, this scene generation from images work that I mentioned earlier. We presented okay. that at the workshop, and uh, I was invited uh, for this year keynote for one of the keynote this year. So I was definitely like, I was glad to <laughs> have the platform to talk about our work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a great, it's a great. Um, workshop, I kind of encourage everyone to go and check the other speakers because there was a lot of work around just like the vision of AI VR, what's mm -hmm. stopping us from, you know, from everyone doing comp doing conferences, you know, through VR, like why are we not doing that yeah. today and things like that. So that was, that was definitely awesome. Interesting. Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, I organized a conference a few years ago and, and we had a, a presenter on AR VR and kind of some of the implications for machine learning, but it was super early. Like there was nothing really <laughs> happening. <laughs> um, and so it's exciting for me to hear that, you know, the field is advancing and, and mm. you know, there's a particularly, and is it, is it fair to say that AR in particular, because the scenes need to be understood more there's more implications for machine learning than VR, which tends to be more kind of generative and scripted. Yeah, 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 definitely. As well? Yes. Uh, so a lot of these tasks in augmented reality, we just we need machine learning because mm -hmm. no one is gonna. There's no time to sit down and try to like replicate, like manually take a real scene and then create yeah. a digital. So if you're you're gonna do like physics interact, if you're gonna interact with the environment then you need to understand that environment and that's computer vision that's what mm -hmm. computer vision is all about taking reality and making sense of it yeah. um so it's very crucial to augmented rea reality well flora mm -hmm. thanks so much for taking the time to share what you're up to very oh, cool thank stuff. you I'm always happy to talk about these things <laughs> 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 yeah thanks Sam. nice thank you All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit TwimmelAI.com. Of course, 
If you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.